0: Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to SOMA's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. Been in the book of Exodus, and uh, and it's awesome, but like at the back end of Exodus, it gets real thick because there's a lot of like how-tos. Basically, Uh, After Mount Sinai, after God gives the Ten Commandments through Moses uh, and he issues, he begins to just kind of lay out a pattern and a plan for his people on how they're going to operate under this new covenant. So God rescued his people. He delivered them in one night. We talked about that. And they're brought out of Egypt miraculously. And so it happened quick, but now they're going to, over the course of 40 years, he's really going to work them over and he's really going to reform them, make them look uh, a little bit more like God's people. And he begins this covenant. So he steps into a relationship with them. And so, uh, he gives them kind of a, a pattern for how that relationship's going to look. And he gives them some rules and some regulations, some boundaries, if you will, to help guard their hearts and really, um, allow them to, to thrive in that relationship. And one of the things that we see in scripture Um, is he, he begins to lay out for them um, the idea of like the tabernacle. So if you're, if you're new to church space, you don't know anything about tabernacle. The idea is that God has desired to dwell with his people from day one. So all the way back in Genesis, he was dwelling. He was there, but sin enters the picture and it separates us from God. And now because of the covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he's the that he's, he's the God of these people. He rescues and redeems them out of Egypt. And he says, Hey, I desire to spend time with you, build a relationship with you. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to create a model for us to build and grow in intimacy. And so, um, and so we see in, in Exodus, like this model for prayer that we can apply to our lives. And, uh, majority of people, you know, even if they don't share your convictions in Jesus pray, they pray, they don't know what they're praying for, who they're praying to, how they're doing. You know what I mean? People don't know what to do when it comes to prayer, but they pray. When things pop off, when things get hard, we pray. You get in a wreck. Even if you're not a believer, you say, oh, God, like that's what you say. That's a prayer, right? That's just like, oh, it's going down. Like, we're, please save me. Uh, Plane starts to, to to you know, to go down. What do you do? You pray, right? When things are, when when, you know, you get you get word at, uh, at work and people are getting laid off or you get bad news or anytime things are happening in our world that affect us that are outside of our control. We go, I got to go to something bigger than me. And, 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 you know, and if you and I like in followers of Christ, we, we go to Jesus and we just pray into God and, and we're asking him to intercede on our behalf. But even people who don't share your convictions, they're, they're praying and they're going something outside of me has got to, got to step up in this moment. And so, um, but so many of us, we don't know how to pray. And so we have, like, these memorized prayers that we prayed when we were kids. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Which is like, now I'm laying down. Please don't kill me. And if you do, send me to heaven. You know what I mean? It's like, but we teach that to, to little kids. It's really kind of depressing. Um, but we do, we do these memorized prayers. The same prayer, you know, I, I remember growing up, and it was like the same people prayed in the same way all the time. You know, and you had, like, these these. these prayers that you prayed when it was time to eat or when it was time to sleep or whatever. And what God desires from us and for us is that we would be in relationship and we'd be able to just pray and just talk. So you don't have to have a cadence. You don't have to have, it doesn't have to sound super religious. Matter of fact, please don't like just be open and raw and real and vulnerable and just tell God about what's going on in your life and hear from God in a way uh, by his word and by his spirit. That's what he desires for us. And so um, we see this in the new Testament as well. The followers of Jesus, they had these memorized cause they grew up in, they grew up Jews. And so they had these books of prayers and they memorized these prayers. And so they had like this religious thing going on where they're like said the same prayers all the time. And then Jesus shows up and begins to talk to God, the father in a way that they're like, Whoa, what is that? And they're, they're like, Lord, teach us to pray. Like you pray. It's not that they didn't know about prayer. It's that they had never heard anybody pray. Like he prayed, teach us to pray. And then Jesus gives them a model, a pattern for prayer. And he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It begins to go into the Lord prayer. And then he says, pray in this way or pray in this manner. This is a pattern for prayer. And so Jesus shows them that in the new Testament, but we see a pattern for prayer all the way back in the old Testament in the tabernacle. And and the thing that I want to just lead off with today about prayer is that prayer isn't about moving God towards us. Prayer is more about us moving towards God. So we generally think of prayer in terms of, I have needs, I have things that have to happen in my life, I have I have to have this breakthrough, I have to have this prayer answered, I have to have this job, I have to have this healing, I have to have whatever thing that we need in our life. And we're praying and asking for God to move and bend towards our will instead of what happens in prayer. The majority of the time is it's me moving towards God's will. It's me moving towards the things of God. And this is why, for example, uh, scripture says we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. He's not seated with you. You're seated with him. The idea is that you get closer to God. It's more about aligning ourselves with Jesus than it is about making God's agenda bend to ours. And so sometimes when we pray Uh, We take it as an opportunity to inform God of what's going on in our life, as if God didn't know what was going on in life. He already knows. So it's not that you shouldn't tell him, hey, and pray and ask specifically for things. But it's less about you informing him or you asking him to do a specific thing and more about uh, moving towards God. Hebrew tells us because of Jesus and what he did for us, we can approach him. We just read that passage of scripture earlier. We can approach him and approach his throne with boldness, not arrogance. It wasn't your work. It wasn't your good deeds. You're not that great. And also, but you can approach him with boldness because Christ did everything necessary for you to approach him. So do it with humility. It should mark you with humility, but also boldness. And so it's the work of Jesus that allows us to go to God in prayer. James 4, 8, he gives commentary on prayer this way. He says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You want to experience the presence of God? Draw near to him draw near to him. So he, he's saying, Hey, listen, you and I have a part to play. I love the book of James super, uh, you know, applicable to our life of faith. He's saying, listen, you and I have a part to play. We have to draw near God wants to be near you, but you actually wa- you have to want it. You have to like draw near to him. God has a part to play and you have a part to play. You can't do God's job. He's not going to do yours. Draw near and he will show up. He'll draw near to you. And so in the old Testament, there's all these patterns and laws given for us to grow in our relationship with God. And then Jesus comes, he says, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so God gives us a pattern all the way back in the old Testament for prayer. I want to unpack that today. It's called, um, the tabernacle prayer. And so I'm going to Exodus 25. I'm gonna be all over the place. Y'all just going to have to uh, just track with me, okay? So we're going to be, there's a lot going on at the end of Exodus. So Exodus 25, 8 through 9 it says this Have the people of Israel, this is God speaking to Moses, people of Israel, build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. I, my, I desire to dwell with you, I want to be with you. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. And so I, I highlight and kind of underline that word pattern. And that there is a pattern and there's a process for intimacy with God. There is a, there's a, there's an outer cord and then an inner cord and then the holy place and the holy of holies. There's this place that God leads us to an intimacy with him and a design that he shows us uh, in scripture. And so, um, first couple years of our church. We were, we were semi-mobile. How many of y'all have done mobile church before? Set up and tear down. You meet in a school cafeteria or something crazy like that, right? You remember that? Yeah, so the first couple years of our church, we set up and tore down this whole setup in here. So every chair in this room, all the gear at the back, all the gear behind me, everything was just literally set up and tear down. And, uh, oh, my old guard, like, man, are just, we're just so grateful, uh, for, for what God's done over the past couple years is we've been able to kind of settle a little bit and be less mobile. But anybody that's been a part of mobile church knows the grind that is the set up teardown. That's what the tabernacle was. It was mobile church. It was meeting in the high school cafeteria. So in the, in, in Exodus, the book of Exodus, we've already talked about this, but God would lead his people pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And so that's the way he leads them this entire time, and uh, and when he moved, they moved because how many of you know church without the presence of God is just not church. You know what I mean? So he he's just like I'm over here. It's like cool. That's where we're going now. We're going to set up tabernacle over there, and then they would meet and commune with God wherever he was at. And so the tabernacle looked like this. This is uh, I'm gonna move out of the way so you guys can see this a little bit. So tabernacle looked like this. It's basically a tent. And the outer wall was a tent with no top. It was basically just a wall of fabric. And then there's, a, there's an entrance right here, and then you step into the courtyard. And then there's an altar right here, the brazen altar, and then there's the laver, and then there's the holy place, and then there's an actual veil. There's a curtain in between uh, what is just the, the larger room and then into the Holy of Holies. And inside this large room, there's a candlestick. We're going to talk about that. There's the table of shoe bread. There's an incense altar. And then inside of the, the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. And so that's what we're going to hit today. But that's what it looks like. It's mobile church. And so you had an outside tent with no top. Inside of that, you had a tent with a top. And, and inside of that tent is the Holy of Holies, the Ark of Covenant. That's where God rested and the, the pillar of cloud was. And so there was this process for communing with God and spending time with God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, we see this in Exodus thirty-three, eleven. This is kind of our mark and our goal for the people of God. This is what, man, I would love for this to happen for all of us. Exodus thirty-three, eleven. It says, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And so we see in the Old Testament glimpses of like what, God, what God's desire is for us in terms of relationship. And this is it, uh, where God has this relationship with Moses. And because of Christ, actually, you and I have access to this. Now, outside of Christ, we probably wouldn't, but like you and I, we have access, we have access to this meeting God face-to-face, speaking to a friend. That's, that's what prayer should look like. And so, um, we're going to look back at Exodus in this pattern to teach us to pray. Um, and so, uh, we I'm going to, there's seven, there's seven steps. Okay. So if you're note takers and, and, and you, you really love kind of, uh, dialing in on some of the points and some of the places that we go scripture wise. There's seven steps. The first one is the outer court, the outer court. So that big rectangle. Uh, and the idea is that we step in and we give God thanks and praise as we step into the tabernacle. This is Exodus 27, nine, make a courtyard for the tabernacle. It's about 150 feet by 75 feet Uh, and this is the first step that we take. Exodus twenty-seven, sixteen. for the entrance to the courtyard, provide a curtain, 20 cubits long of blue, purple, scarlet yarn, finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer with four posts and four bases. What's so cool is you guys read Exodus in your own time. Go back and read Exodus 25, starting there and moving forward as he talks about God begins to give specific instruction to Moses on how to build the tabernacle. What's awesome is, is is towards the end of the book, as they built the tabernacle, at the end of it, when everything was finished, Moses inspected everything. And the Bible tells us that it said, and then Moses, they built the tabernacle exactly how God had instructed. And then his presence filled it. It's so cool. And so there's all these specific instructions about how it ought to look and how it ought to play out. And he begins with, there's a courtyard. And so How do we start when it comes to prayer? We start by giving God thanks and praise. This is Psalm 104. Enter his gates. That's what this is. His gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. I grew up in a church. We had hymnals in my church back in the day. We used to sing this song. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I was the only one. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Come on. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. All right, what's up? All right, so it's like, but it was, it, if that's the way we're supposed to enter into the court, enter into the tabernacle is with thanks and praise. Thanks and praise. So our prayer starts with not I need, not old junk, not this is, oh, like I'm, it's prayer starts with a building a discipline and a daily, daily discipline of thank you, God. Thank you thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done and begin to praise him regardless of your situation and regardless of your circumstances, because he deserves praise regardless of that. And so, uh, Jesus starts off his teaching model and prayer when he's talking to his followers and they say, teach us how to pray. He says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he's like, Hey, just praise him up front, right? Don't ask him for stuff. Don't like just praise him for who he is up front. Hallowed be your name. And, and then thank him for what he's done. Enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. We've already done that today. As a matter of fact, we build worship sets so that on the front end, there's songs of praise. And, and, and you'll hear me and other people in our church family just thank God for what he's doing uh, in their lives and just in the life of our church. The idea is to turn up the gratitude on what God has done and for who he is. This is Psalm 103, two through five. So this is a great passage of scripture. You can just write this down. If you struggle with gratitude, if you struggle with praise, if you struggle with prayer, this is a great, this is a great way to get there for thanks and gratitude. This is Psalm 103, two through five, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Don't forget what he's done. Don't forget the benefit that you have by being in a relationship with him, who forgives all your sins. God who forgave all your sins. Let's just stop right there. You're good. Well, I mean, well, I mean, that's it. I mean, he's, he's forgiven all your sins and heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. This is the God that we serve. And so, again, enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise, being reminded of the faithfulness of God, what he's done in our life. And so um, hey, do me a favor. Do me a favor, because I think we just need to stop and just thank him for what he's done. I want you to just for 10 seconds to just make some noise, clap, shout, praise, do whatever, and just thank God for who he is. Come on. If you're grateful for what he's done, come on, 10 seconds. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. For pursuing us, for salvation, for sanctification, for transformation, for all that you do, we thank you, we praise you. So that's, that's how you start prayer. You start with thank you. You start with praise, and then uh, you go from the outer court, and then you go by the brazen altar. And so the brazen altar, the whole idea is to focus on the cross. And the brazen altar uh, is where they would have had animal sacrifices. This is Exodus 27, one, build an altar of acacia wood, three cubits high is to be square, five cubits long, five cubits wide. So about four and a half foot high, seven and a half foot, uh, square. And so bulls and sheep and goats, and this is where they would have had animal sacrifices. You would have had to have walked by what died in your place. You would have had to have walked by what was sacrificed for your sins. Right? And so the whole idea is, Hey, remember the cross, In my prayer life, I thanksgiving and praise, but I also remember what's been sacrificed for me. This is Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. This is why Jesus comes. But when this priest, Jesus, has offered for all, one time, uh, all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And so uh, Hebrews is a reminder, hey, listen, uh, all of that. All of the brazen altar, all of the sacrifice is just a nod to what is going to be the ultimate sacrifice in Christ who comes not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so we can enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise, but we need to be mindful of the sacrifice. We need to be mindful of the cross. I would encourage you to just spend some time in your prayer time, just be reminded of what Christ did for you. And it will mark your life, shape your life and your heart as you think about what's been done in your place. And so In our prayer time, before we ask God or tell God what we need or or what we think, remind ourselves of the cross. And if you struggle with thinking about the cross, Isaiah does it for us. So the prophet Isaiah, 400 years before it happened, here's what he says in Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. And so transgression is when you cross the line, you transgress you went too far and, and your hands represent what you do. So he was pierced for what we did. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and our iniquities is not a transgression. Our iniquities is the state of your heart. And so he is crushed. Uh, he is crushed for our iniquities. He's his side is pierced. His heart is punctured for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. The punishment that brought us peace And so he takes on a punishment that's on his head, the crown of thorns, to free us and give us peace of mind in the wounds. And then the stripes on his back are what his wounds are what heal us. And so when we pray and think about the brazen altar as the cross and we think, God, what you've done in my place, I want us to think about these. The nails are this freedom from my past. And the spear in Jesus' side is this this freedom from my heart. So freedom from my my past is I don't have to be... uh, Full of shame. I don't have to drag that junk around any longer. Christ has paid for all of it. Let me confess my sins and find forgiveness. Let me confess my sins to one another and find healing. Move forward, right? Stop bringing up old you. Move forward in Christ. The idea is I can find freedom from my past, but also I can find freedom from my heart, the iniquities of my heart. There's some things in me that just aren't great. I don't know about you, but like I have a, I have a predisposition and a bend towards sin in different ways and you do as well. And the idea is like, God, free, free me up from myself, free me up from myself and help me to become more like you in Christ And so the crown of thorns is the freedom for my mind. Give me peace instead of anxiety, instead of worry. That's what we talk about in this book, right? Give me peace and and give me over to just a peace of mind and a comfort and a knowing that you're in control. And then give me freedom in my body. When he's talking about stripes and healing, he's talking about wounds. Give me freedom, uh, God, in my body, not to be... um, addicted, not to, not to be prisoner or be held captive by my flesh, but be freed by my spirit so that I'm in control and I'm in charge. Tr- I have self-control now over, over my body, but also heal me, heal me physically, heal me emotionally, heal me mentally, freedom in my body. So be thinking about that as you think through, as we pass through, uh, the, uh, the altar and we think about what's been sacrificed for us, be thinking about the cross in that way. Here's the third thing that we see in the tabernacle as we see the labor. Which is basically a big uh, copper, or excuse me, a big bronze um, basin, a big uh, bowl that you can wash in. And it had mirrors inside of it. And so um, it says this in Exodus 38 8 They made the bronze basin and its bronze stand from the mirrors of the women who served at the entrance of the tent meeting. And so the idea is that they would go, they would walk past the altar, they'd be reminded of the sacrifice, they would get to the laver, and they would begin to wash. They would begin to offer their lives as a living sacrifice. And they begin to think about, they'd see themselves in the reflection as they wash. And so the idea is to look into this laver and um, and begin to think through offering your body over as a living sacrifice. Begin to think through, God, I want you to... uh, uh, my eyes and my ears and my mind and my hands and my feet i offer all of that up to you so give me eyes to see give me ears to hear god help me to look uh, on things in the right way and help me to hear things in the right way and to guard uh, to guard my thought life cuz it directs my steps so i end up doing things and saying things based on the things that i'm thinking so start here and then out of the overflow of that Uh, I live my life. And so change me daily and reform me into the image of Jesus. It doesn't happen overnight. Like we get so frustrated in the Christian life in that we, we accept Christ. We're excited about the gospel. We love the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And yet we don't pray. And it's like, man, if we just pray, if you build a discipline of prayer, build a discipline of spending time in his word, he just does a work on you that you can't do in your own power. You can't do it. You can't do it. So the discipline of prayer is a humility and a dependence on God to do what only he can do in our lives. And that's transform us into the likeness of His son. It doesn't happen overnight. Again, they get delivered out of Egypt in a night. They get sanctified over the course of 40 years, and they really never arrive. Okay, so, like, that's the whole idea is make me more like your son. And so um, build that culture of prayer. We have to build a culture of prayer. And so it changes our priorities, and it changes our perspective. Right, So we enter into his courts with thanksgiving and praise. We look over and we see uh, the sacrifice made for us on the altar. And then we go by the laver and we wash and we get prepared to go into the holy place. And then as we step into the tent inside the tent, right, the tent with the top, we see something called the candlestick. And it's just, uh, the candlestick is a remembrance that we need to be dependent on God. It's really about relying on the Holy Spirit. This is Exodus 37, 23 through 24. They made its seven lamps, as well as its wick, trimmers, and trays of pure gold. They made the lampstand and all its accessories from one talent of pure gold, about 75 pounds of gold. It's a legit candlestick, right? So it's, it's, it's in there. And it, the idea is that it burns all the time, and, and it's just a reminder about this dependence on God. And for us as New Testament believers, it's a nod to the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And so if something's working in my life, I don't know about you, but if something's working in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my home, here at church, it's just the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's just God doing in and through me what only he can get credit for. And, and if, people, if people see something of value, if people see something of eternal significance, if something hits a little bit different, it's just God working in and through my life. So it's a reminder. God, I need you to become who it is that you want me to become, and I, and I need to be dependent on you. So Holy Spirit, shift my perspective uh, and help me to see what I can't see and become who it is that you want me to become. Zechariah 4.6 says this, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Which is, you can't do what God's called you to do in your own authority, in your own power, in your own will. You can't do it. God will give when you come to faith in Christ, Jesus will give you over to a life and desires and a vision and dream and purpose so much bigger than you. And it will require a dependence on him to accomplish what he wants you to accomplish. It just will. And so just got to be stayed and say, I-, I need to be led by the spirit. If you've never, if you've never prayed through or, or thought like when you've been praying, asking God to lead you uh, through the Holy Spirit, th- there's three passages of scripture I think will help us. So first of all is Isaiah eleven seven, seven. And uh, it says this, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. and He will delight in the fear of the Lord. So a couple of things on that is like, I want wisdom and understanding. It's like, God, give me eyes to see and understand supernaturally. Give me wisdom that just hits people a little bit different. That sometimes, have you ever been there where you're just wise and discerning and you understood something and people are like, dang, that's really wise. It's like, but it wasn't really you. You know what I mean? It was just like, I know, I don't know where that came from. It just just kind of came out, you know, it's like, and it's just God doing a work in you. Same thing when it comes to counsel, give me words to say that give life to people. Give me the words to say in the moment. Give me, give me real counsel so that if someone's going through a hard thing in my, in my, at work or my family member's struggling in a real way, or like I, give me the right words to say that would build up, that would edify. Give me the right words to say that would draw people closer to you. Give me counsel that's outside of myself so that when I say them, people are like, who, what? And it's like, I know it just came out It's God. Right. So give me, give me counsel and also give me knowledge and fear of the Lord. I want a right reverence on God. Cause everything out of the overflow of that, what you think about God is the most important thing in your life. Who God is to you is the most, everything in your life is shaped by where you put God. This is why he starts with the 10 commandments says no other gods before me. Right? So the right reverence and the right fear and putting God where he belongs in your life, everything out of the overflow of that. Your life reflects what you believe about who God says he is. And so a right reverence and fear of God. Give me that. How do we get that? The Holy Spirit is what um, Isaiah eleven two 2 reminds us. A couple more. Galatians 5. This is a great one. You could pray through this, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So Galatians 5 references that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right? And these are things that, that we want more of. Uh, but let me, if you pray for it, he will, he will give it to you. Be careful what you pray for. If you pray for patience, he will make you be patient. Right? So, like, I'm good. I want all the other fruits but the patience, Lord. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but you want it. Like, you, you do want it. Everything that God has for you is good and you want it. That includes the gifts. So, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 1. Follow the way of love. I love that. Follow the way of love. And then it says this. Eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit especially prophecy. So follow the way of love, love God, love people. God will lead you in this way of love. Jesus is modeling this. He's teaching this. He's living this. He is this, this way of love, but also eagerly desire what's outside of you, which is the gifts of the Holy spirit. So when you and I come to faith in Christ, we talk about this in growth track. Step two, you and I come to faith in Christ. Now God supernaturally gives me things that are just out. They're just gifts. They're just spiritual gifts, right? They just are. You ever see it? Like, Justin leading worship gift. That's just a gift. Okay. Like Laurie, just a minute ago, sharing oven and upper Bible, just like talking gift. Like there's different gifts that we have in the body. And the idea is that collectively we could do so much more together. Again, many members, one body, use your gifts and, and, and the spirit of God is, is what gives us those gifts. And so, um, So we we pass by the outer court, we pass by the the brazen altar, we go past the laver, we're into the holy place, we see the candlestick, there's this reliance on the Holy Spirit, and then the next element that we see that helps us in this model of prayer is the table of shoe bread. And the table of shoe bread is really all about the word of God. It's about claiming the promises of God's word. Exodus twenty-five thirty: put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times is what God said. So they would make bread, loaves of bread, 12 of them, and they would put them on this table and they would just sit and they would just smell amazing, right? And the priests are going in there and this is the table of shoe bread. And, and so just like the candles are always to be lit, bread always on the table. So it makes, make me some new Bread, And so the, the whole idea is, uh, they represent the word of God and, and this desirable fragrance because the, the whole goal is that we're supposed to consume it. You're supposed to consume this. You don't, you don't, you don't eat to live. You live to eat. And so it's, it's all about consuming the word of God. This is Matthew four, four. Jesus says it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So it's the difference between reading your Bible uh, to hit a mark for a reading plan or to check a box or like to obligate yourself like, dang it, I signed up for one year Bible and I missed that chunk and I got to race through it. And, you know, or just doing things out of obligation rather than just spending time. and, And instead of obligation, you just you just have revelation like you just want God to speak to you. God, just speak to me. And all of it is all of it is living and active. All of it will hit. I promise you, if you just open it up and read it, he'll speak to you. And so the idea is I just need to spend some time and enjoy it. It's the difference between eating, you're hungry, you got to eat something real quick, you swing through the gas station, you get something, it's like, I'm just hungry. But, or you go to your favorite restaurant, you know what I'm talking about? You go to the steakhouse, you get that filet, that medium filet with that sear on both sides, you know what I'm talking about? You cut it into in that thing, you put it in your mouth, what do you do? You leave it there for a minute. You don't swallow that sucker whole. You are just like I'm just going to let that sit for a minute on my palate because that is amazing, right? So that that's kind of how this is. He's like, hey, consume it, but consume it in a way that you get this revelation. And so, um, not only is it meant not only is it meant for consumption for ourselves, but also you're, you're supposed to take the word of God. Ephesians six tells us, and uh, and use it for others to pray for others. And so, this is what it says in Ephesians six seventeen through eighteen. Take the sword of the spirit, the word which is the word of God and pray, leverage that to pray for others, pray for other people by using God's word. And so, um, so right after you see the table of the shoe bread, again, you're in the holy place, you're in the tent, candlestick on the side, right? And you have the table of shoe bread. And now I'm getting ready to step towards the veil where the ark of the covenant is on the other side, but there's an incense. Uh, there's an altar of incense right here, right? And so the altar of incense is all about worshiping his name. It's all about worship. So we started with thanksgiving and praise. I remember the cross. I remember what's been done in my place. I offer my life as a living sacrifice. God, reveal to me some things. Help me to become who it is you want me to become. I I need a reliance and a dependence on your Holy Spirit and on your word. Help me to consume your word. Help me to worship you. Now we're at worship. This is Exodus 36 put the altar in front of the curtain that shields the ark of the covenant law before the atonement cover that is over the tablets of the covenant law. And then he says this, where I'm, I'm going to meet you there. So, so we're, we're leading into worship. And then he says, Hey, on the other side of this worship is exactly where I'm going to meet you. And so I, I love it so much. And it's this reminder of how important worship is in our lives Um, The idea is that in prayer, we need some time where we're worshiping God for who He is. To us, Here's who God is in scripture to us, by the way. He's our righteousness. He's our sanctifier. He's the one who transforms us. He's our healer, our provider, our banner of victory over death and hell and our enemy. In Christ, you and I have a banner of victory over death, hell, the grave, Satan, all of it. And we just have like a big giant, we are the champs, uh, you know, banner, basically because of Jesus. And so that's what the Bible says. He's our banner of victory. So the idea is thank you, God, for a victory that you won on my behalf. And, and we need to worship God as our shepherd who leads us by still waters and restores us. Worship God who is with us. He's the God who is with us. That's one of his names in scripture, the God who's with us. And so Jesus comes to make love manifest and to be God with us. And then he leaves and says, you know what? I'm sending a helper and a comforter, and I'm still going to be with you, but by my spirit. And so instead of a tabernacle, instead of a temple, instead of a church building, I'm just going to be in you. And the spirit of God is just going to come and I'm going to be, I'm going to be God who's with you. So just worship God for who he is. These are amazing things that we get to worship him for. And so after this, we, we, after this moment, after we worship, we step through the veil and now we're into the Holy of Holies. And so in the old Testament, they would have tied a rope around the priest's ankle because everything kind of rides. So once a year, priests would go in day of atonement. Something's been sacrificed for the remission of everyone's sins, right? People are bringing animals to sacrifice animals for the remission of sins. Priest goes in to meet with God, to commune with God, to intercede on the people's behalf. But as he goes in to as he goes through that veil, uh, if he's if he's has sin, he's dead. So they tied a rope around that brother's ankle because they're like, on a regular, this happened. You know what I mean, brothers? Just did not make it, right? So they go through, it's not, it's a terrible job, really, if you think about it, it's like, who wants that job? But anyway, they go in, they go through the veil, and uh, and uh, yeah, if he wasn't right with God, had sin brokenness, unconfed- like things in his heart, they were just off, man, boom, they drag him out, send another one in, you know what I mean? And so, but Jesus comes, the Bible tells us this, Jesus comes, and when he dies on the cross and he dies in our place, the Bible tells us the veil is torn. So you and I, instead of having... The separation between God, the separation because of our sin, now we're made right and we can convene with God, we can commune with God in spite of our sin. So because I believe in Christ and I've trusted him with my life and I've surrendered my life to him, even even with not being perfect, even with not having it all together, I can still commune with God. I can still have a relationship. I can still grow. That's good news for everybody in this room. Everybody you've ever met, right, is that the veil's been torn and you and I can have a communication. We can have a relationship with the God who loves us, who's for us. And so this is what, this is the last element. This is the ark. We're right here in the Holy of Holies. This is the ark of the covenant gold box, some rails. There's a cherubim. There's angels on the top that, that touch on either side. They cover their eyes and their wings touch on either side. And in between is a mercy seat, which is where God meets with Moses and where God meets with these priests. And so, uh, here's what it says. Exodus twenty five twenty two. there above the cover between the two cherubim, cherubim, uh, that are over the ark of the covenant law. I will meet with you. And so priests would go into the Holy Holies, meet with God, But when they met with God, it wasn't about them. And here's here's where I'm going to land. So all this moment is about building up to a place, an intimacy with God, a maturity and a walking with God. And then they get to a moment where they finally meet with God. And what do the priests do in that moment? They intercede on other people's behalf. They're praying for other people. I remember... The, the church that sent us to start Soma, there was a lady who used to sit up front, and she had an oxygen tank, and she was she was older and sat very right dead center right here where Landon's sitting every single week during worship, and she would come up at the beginning of service. It was a large church. She would come up. I would lead worship part a of, part of our worship team, and she would come up and she would always bring like a a plate of cookies. But she would always wait until, like, the end of the countdown. It was real awkward. Like, she would come, and she would work her way up, and the countdown's over, and we're like, hey, good morning, everybody. It's like, boom, there's a slid, a slid, a plate of cookies up on the stage. I'm like, all right, like, what? you know, like, what am I doing with this? It's so great. And, uh, but, but the thing I loved about her so much was she would always fill out a prayer request every week. And she'd always start for the local church. She would always start for the underground church. She would talk about People, she, people in her lives who were struggling people who had addiction, people who needed a breakthrough, people who needed a healing touch people who needed, she had a laundry list every single week of people who needed prayer and then at the very end it would say, and God please heal me, please touch me and she talked about how she, was, she had chemo that week and she had had stage 4 cancer but she was always at the bottom of her list she prayed about all these things and then she was like, oh yeah please pray for me as well you know, this is what I'm going through and this is what First Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says. It says, I urge then, first of all, petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, all people, for kings, all of those in authority that we may, be li- that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleasing to God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. First First Timothy 2 reminds us that you and I, when it comes to prayer life, we start with thanksgiving and and praise. We remember the cross. We offer our lives up. We, We rely and depend on the Holy Spirit. God, let me consume your word. Let me worship you. Let me step into your presence. And when I get there, let me intercede on other people's behalf. Let me make it about others, even in my prayer life. Why? Because he desires that all people might be saved. And and he says, God who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so one thing I would love for you to focus on in this 21 days of prayer is the all people. Some churches, I mean, uh, this is not, uh, this is our our first Timothy marks what we believe about uh, prayer, what we believe about the heart of God, what we believe about what we desire God to do is that he would see all people saved. Not a remnant, not some, not a percentage. Not, it, it's the heart of God that everybody that you know would, be, would have the, the gospel message lived out in a way, like your life would transform people in a way it would just draw them closer to Christ. And the way that the, all people are going to be saved is you and I. We, we preach with our lives. And it's not that everybody will respond to that message, it's just that his heart is that all people would be saved. And so you and I have an opportunity. We're plan A. There is no plan after us, by the way. Like Jesus leaves, he commissions his church, and he says, love God, love people, make disciples to the ends of the earth. I want you to reach people. I want you to serve people. I want you to make it about others. I want you to intercede. I want you to love. Not make it about you, make it about others. And so during 21 days of prayer, that's my, that's our heart. That's our goal. As we head towards the fourth service, as we head towards the falls, that we would see salvation and that we would see transformation and that we would see people's lives redeemed and relationships restored and people healed. And, but there's people in your life that only you can serve and reach in a way that only you can. Uh, people in this room can't do it in the same way that you can, but you can. God's commissioned you and he's planted you there for a purpose and a reason. Because it's hard is that all people might be saved. And so let's make it about others in this season. Let's just pray and ask God for bold. Let's just pray bold prayers. Let's just pray him for more fruit of the spirit. Let's just pray him to help us and remind us of what he sacrificed in our place. Let's just pray and ask him to reach and save and help us to, uh, to love well and, and serve people who are far from him in this season. Matter of fact. Great homework assignment. Today, before you leave, take that prayer card in front of you. Write down a name of a person that you know needs to come to faith in Christ, that you know is far from God, that you know needs a church family. Write them down, pray for them. We'll pray for you, we'll pray with you as a team. And we'll ask God to do what only He can do in their life. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the way you love us. Thank you that you pursue us. Thank you that you're after the heart of every single person in this room. And it's because you you love us so much, you want more than we want ourselves. We don't have your perspective. And so prayer bends us to your agenda, to your will, to your perspective. Help us to draw close to you so that you can draw close to us. And not, and not hit you with a, a laundry list of things that we need or things that we want or things that we desire, but make it, just God, shape our hearts in prayer so that we can enter with thanksgiving, so that we can be reminded that you love us, that you're for us, our dependency on you, our worship for you, and then ultimately lead us into your presence so that we can intercede for other people, make it about other people, even in our prayer life. If you're here and you've never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, and I know we're talking tabernacle prayer and I know we're talking Old Testament, but man, Jesus comes to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. He comes so that you and I could be right relationship with God. Every sin, past, present, and future, Christ came, died for in your place, and then rose again so that you could be made right with God. You could have a real relationship with him. Converse as if you were talking to a friend. But you've got to surrender your life. You gotta lay your life down. You gotta commit fully. You gotta say, Jesus, right where you're at. If that's you, you've never given your life, never surrendered your life to him, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I see you for who you are. God, it's worth going all in today, and I give, I give you my life. I'm sorry I made it about me. Help me to make help me to make it about others and pursue you for the rest of my life. And God, give us the boldness as your people to come to you, to enter into the throne room with just a real boldness, but also a real humility, that you're our Father, you love us, you welcome us into this space, you did everything necessary for our salvation, we bring nothing to the table. So we shouldn't be arrogant with it, but we should come boldly to claim all that you have for us. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.